Welcome to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church, featuring our pastor, Rebecca Duke-Barton. In our Summer of Signs and Wonders, we are going to be reading from Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now, during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Sicilia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses and said, This man never stops saying things against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And they all sat in the council looking intently at him, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I like to watch shows about people with lots of kids in their family. Mostly so I can say, thank you, Lord, for the blessing of three and maybe not 19. And thank you for the blessing of twins and not six at once. One of the things that you notice about those families is they start out with a certain degree of chaos. How do you care for six babies at one time? Even when you're thrilled and thank the Lord for the babies, they are they have some growing pains in all of those families because that's a lot of babies at one time. So that's a wee bit of what we see in the book of Acts. The early Christians were living in a new reality. They saw themselves now as one big family. When we talk about signs and wonders, this was one of them, a sign that God's kingdom was breaking in and every Christian was a part of God's new family. So they did things that might not work if a whole society tries to do it, but they make perfect sense in a family. Things like sharing all of their possessions and making sure that everyone has what they need. Things like 
taking care of widows, which was normally expected of blood kin, now become part of the work of the Christian family. Now, the problem is that the family is getting bigger than they expected very quickly. They used to be 12 and then 70. And before Pentecost, they were up to 120. And then on the day of Pentecost, they added 3,000. And then they were up to 5,000. The family was growing so fast. And just like the people who have six babies when they expected one, problems arise. For the one big family of the early church, the problem comes when widows need to be cared for. This was central to what Jesus had called his disciples to be about. He called us to feed those who are hungry. In Matthew 10, that Garth read earlier in the service, Jesus said to give a cup of cold water to those who are thirsty. Widows, of course, were particularly vulnerable in the first century. And in this new growing family, there were at least two sets of widows. One set, known as the Hebrews, had grown up in Israel. They spoke Aramaic. The original 12 disciples had a lot in common with them. And then there were the widows who had lived elsewhere in the Roman Empire. Most of them spoke Greek. They are known as the Hellenists in what we've just read in Acts 6. It could be that there were a higher than usual number of widows in Jerusalem specifically because some people who were Jewish would sort of retire to Jerusalem. They may have lived their lives spread out across the Roman Empire, but when it came time to die, they wanted to be buried in Jerusalem. So there were widows, and the Greek-speaking widows thought the Hebrew widows were getting more in the daily food distribution. They shared their possessions but the Greek-speaking widows felt that they weren't being shared fairly. Now, I'm not going to get into any current situation right here, but can we just pause a second and point out that when people from two different groups were feeling slighted, the disciples had a choice. Ignore the Greek-speaking widows and let it fester and pull the church apart, or listen to the experience of the Greek-speaking widows, and figure out a plan where everyone could be treated fairly and cared for. We might want to spend some time in prayer about how that applies to our world today. The apostles, not wanting to see the church split apart, set aside seven disciples to be deacons. That word means servant, by the way. It's not a power position. It's a service position, but because the men who were deacons were so full of the power of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders came with them. Stephen and Philip were two of the men. We'll hear about Philip next Sunday morning. This Sunday, we focus on Stephen. The scripture says he was full of grace and power. Here was this man called to serve, called to feed hungry people, called to be a peacemaker and a problem solver. Did you notice our theme phrase as we read in Acts 6? Stephen did great signs and wonders among the people. The scripture doesn't go into what these signs and wonders were, but given the power of the Holy Spirit, we can imagine what must have been happening when Stephen was around. The Christian church has long given Stephen a place of honor on the church calendar. Stephen's feast day is December 26th, the day after Christmas. 
That's why we sing Good King Wenceslas at Christmas. You know, Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. Fun fact, Wenceslas was also known for caring for widows and people who were poor, and he was also martyred. There's a common thread to stories of people who follow Jesus and the signs and wonders that follow. So Stephen, full of grace, caring for widows, was performing signs and wonders. Other people noticed as well, and some of the people didn't like what Stephen was doing and saying. The 12 apostles seemed to spend their time in the temple around Solomon's porch. Stephen moved the message to Greek-speaking synagogues. The people in the synagogues weren't the religious leaders of the day. Some were from families of freed slaves, as we learn from Acts 6. They weren't in power, but they did hold firmly to a worldview that preaching about Jesus challenged. They didn't welcome Jesus. They certainly didn't welcome this prophet, Stephen. They found they couldn't win an argument with Stephen because he was so full of wisdom in the spirit. So they started rumors behind his back. They set up false witnesses. The scripture says they instigated against him. As N.T. Wright says, they threw as much mud at him as they could, though pretty soon it wasn't just mud. Why are we like that? If someone is doing good in the world, there's always someone to tear them down. That's another place we might need to spend some time in prayer, beloveds, because I'd much rather be a Stephen than like the people who falsely accused him. The rumors and false witnesses led to an arrest, and Stephen, who had been set aside to serve, was taken before the religious authorities in the temple. Jesus had said to be my witnesses, and Stephen was a powerful witness. He went through a huge swath of the Old Testament, telling God's story from the time of Abraham to Moses to the temple and on through to Jesus. Stephen was trying to help his listeners see that they needed to look at their own story from a different perspective, showing that while the scriptures tell the story of God's love and covenant keeping, they also tell the story of rebellion. And Stephen accuses his listeners of not being in line with Abraham and Moses, but instead being like those who made a golden calf while Moses received the law. He calls the people who listened stiff-necked, uncircumcised, in heart and ears, forever opposing the Holy Spirit. He never actually addressed the charges against him, but rather turned around and charged his accusers of falling away from God. It's as good as any courtroom drama you might see on TV. The accused becomes the accuser. Though they stand in judgment of him, he looks up and sees the heavenly court. It's the scene depicted in the book of Daniel in the throne room of the ancient of days with the son of man. Talk about a sign and a wonder though, because Jesus, the son of God and son of man, normally seated at the throne of God, is standing up for Stephen. He's standing up as an advocate for Stephen. He's standing in welcome. As N.T. Wright puts it, the earthly judges might be condemning him to death but the heavenly court is finding in his favor. So let's read Acts 7, 54 through 60. When they heard these things, they became enraged 
and ground their teeth at Stephen. Don't you love the metaphors that the Bible uses for anger? They ground their teeth. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he died. I am struck by the power of this story every time I read it. This is what it looks like to be full of the Holy Spirit. He served with grace and power, living like Jesus, who told us to feed the hungry and give a cup of cold water to his little ones. He preached with power, seeing the big picture of what God was trying to do to make things right in the world. Now, even in his death, he was so full of the Holy Spirit that he sounds like Jesus. Don't hold this sin against them. Those same words of forgiveness that Jesus had on his lips when he was unjustly killed. That kind of forgiveness is a sign and a wonder. It points to what God can do in the hearts of those who love him. We talk about Stephen as the first martyr. And we usually use that word for somebody who is killed because of their faith. The word martyr means witness. So it's interesting you've got these witnesses to the stoning, including Saul, who's holding everybody's coat so they can go and stone him. But you've got Stephen as a witness of Jesus, as a witness to the way his heart has been transformed to the point that even as he's being stoned, he prays to the Lord, don't hold this sin against them. That kind of witness to the love and grace of God absolutely blows me away. I want to be that full of the love and grace of God. I am brought to my knees wondering if I could ever be that forgiving. I mean, sure, Jesus did it, but he's Jesus. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Of course he forgives. We tend to like the bumper sticker slogan, I don't get mad, I just get even. The kind of forgiving heart that Stephen had is so rare. It turns out, though, that when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, as the Spirit dwelt in Stephen, this is what it looks like. This is the sign and the wonder. People are healed and widows are fed. And the love and grace of God is so full in his life that he can forgive even people who are stoning him to death. He has the witness of Jesus standing up for him in the throne room of God. And he knows he's being welcomed into the love and grace of God. 
David Hansen points out when we look at Stephen, we don't have to choose just one part of the Christian life. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, we are called to serve and speak truth. We are called to heal and forgive. And Jesus honors that by standing up for Stephen. Stephen holds the place of honor on the church calendar as the first Christian martyr, the first person to die for the faith. But even in his dying, he lived for Jesus. He was a witness of what God can do. This is a sign that God really is doing something new in hearts and lives. And I want that to be true in our hearts and lives as well. I want Jesus to stand up for us because we're so full of the Holy Spirit that it comes out in every way, in what we do, in what we say, in how we forgive, in how we live, in how we die. Jesus honored Stephen. He promised in Matthew 10 that we would receive the reward. Oh, may it be so for us, friends. May it be so. May our lives overflow with that love and forgiveness and grace of God. Will you pray with me the collect for Stephen from the Book of Common Prayer? Gracious Father, who gave the first martyr Stephen grace to pray for those who took up stones against him, grant that in all our sufferings for the truth, we may learn to love even our enemies and to seek forgiveness for those who desire our hurt, looking up to heaven to him who was crucified for us, Jesus Christ, our mediator and advocate, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church with Rebecca Duke Barton. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website. It's jessupfumc.org. That's J-E-S-U-P-F-U-M-C dot org.